0: Hello, my rebels. Today's podcast, I go through the banking rules issued by Justin Trudeau. And um, I think the most important thing about them, besides the fact that he's stealing money from his political opponents like Fidel Castro would, is that he's applying these laws to all the American banks who do business in Canada too, all the Canadian banks who do business in America, and many American citizens who are customers of either Does he really think that America and Americans and American politicians will accept the seizure of their citizens' bank accounts? This is about to get interesting because I don't think they thought this through. That's today's show. But before I get to it, let me invite you to become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. It's $8 a month. Just go to rebelnewsplus.com, click subscribe. My video version of this podcast every day plus weekly videos by Sheila Gunn-Reed, David Menzies, Andrew Chapiteau's Nat and Cat. It's a lot on offer, and it's only half the price of Netflix. All right, here's today's podcast. <laughs> Tonight, Justin Trudeau has announced plans to seize bank accounts of customers without any due process. How will that work with American banks doing business here? It's February 16th and this is the Ezra LeVant Show. Why should others go to jail why? when you're a biggest carbon why? consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why i is it is because it's my bloody right to do so. You know, I haven't thought a lot about banks in my whole life. I mean, it is a Canadian tradition to hate the banks. They have poor service, generally poor hours, high fees. We don't have the same banking competition that they have in the United States. And you heard my own story a couple months ago when the Royal Bank of Canada refused to grant Rebel News a commercial mortgage because of our politics. We were financially strong, but they are bigoted against conservatives. But generally, I don't think we think about banks that often. And part of the reason why is because we avoided the banking crisis of 2008. I don't know if you remember that, but Wall Street collapsed. Huge, mighty institutions a century old. Lehman Brothers. The House of Cards fell down. And uh, taxpayers bailed them out. It was when the Occupy Wall Street movement was born. We had sort of a copycat Occupy Toronto movement, but it never really caught on because our banks didn't fail. They were steadied by the government. But in the end, taxpayers were not out tens or hundreds of billions of dollars. We weren't wobbled. And under Harper, who was an economist by training, if you recall, our banks were considered amongst the strongest in the world. And again, I say that's the reason why Canadians really don't think about our banks as much, But in the past few days, Justin Trudeau has made banks political playthings. He's weaponized banks against a vague list of his own personal political enemies. This is an unprecedented political risk to the most stable banks in the world. The world of finance is interconnected. Many Canadian banks operate in the United States have customers there, are also regulated there. Does Trudeau think that he can order the Royal Bank of Canada to seize a customer's bank account in Florida, the RBC Bank has customers in Florida, including American citizens, maybe an American citizen at that bank gave $20 to the truckers. Trudeau's Emergencies Act order says that an American citizen in Florida who happens to bank with RBC Bank must have her account seized, frozen, and must have the full assistance of the Royal Bank. That's what it says. But it's not just Canadian banks with customers in the U.S. It's U.S. banks operating in Canada. Look at Trudeau's Emergency Economic Measures Order. It covers foreign banks and insurance companies operating in Canada. So mainly American banks, in terms of seizing their assets. If you are a U.S. bank doing business in Canada, Wells Fargo, Citibank, whatever, even credit card companies are a kind of bank, you've always known that Canada was a liberal democracy with the rule of law, including very strong free trade agreements going back and forth between our two countries. You know that the free flow of funds and financial services and money and banks and Stock markets between Vancouver and San Francisco, between Winnipeg and Chicago, between Toronto and New York, Halifax and Boston. Centuries of commerce. Trust. We're really the same when it comes to trusting each other in banks. That is gone now. Now we got a little mini Fidel, a Hugo Chavez-style political expropriation of opponents. Bank accounts. And the reason I mention that is because it's one thing for Canadian banks to have to do it, but you saw the order. It specifically says foreign banks. Should U.S. banks comply with Trudeau's suspension of civil liberties? Here's a list of foreign banks in Canada. There are dozens of them. Like I say, they're specifically covered in Trudeau's expropriation order. If you were the CEO, if you were the general counsel, if you're the vice president in charge of privacy or legal compliance or political affairs, or even just keeping your customers happy, would you go along with Trudeau? Are you more afraid of Trudeau? Or, and I'm not going to say your own customers, how about the U.S. Congress? And here's why I say that, because opinion polls suggest that it is quite likely that the U.S. Congress will turn Republican this November. I mean, the polls are incredible. You saw the recent victory of the Republicans in Virginia. I think it's going to be a blowout. And what that will do is it will change which party runs the House Banking Committee, a very powerful committee. What kind of investigations, subpoenas, hearings will a pro-trucker, anti-Trudeau, anti-cancel culture Republican House Banking Committee what what kind of investigations will they do to a U.S. bank that willingly serves up their U.S. citizens for Trudeau's delectation? Or for that matter, if those U.S. banks serve up their Canadian customers to Trudeau. That's just as offensive for an American bank to do, don't you think? If you were in charge of compliance and risk management at an American bank, what would you do? If this were Venezuela, you would probably close up shop. Venezuela is a wonderful country, I hear, but it's not that large, and really the atrocious things you're required to do to do business there, you would just have to close up, and it would be too bad. You know, China's that way. There's a lot of tech companies, for example, Facebook, that would love to do business in China, but just can't because the requirements of China would be to give every single piece of data about every single customer to the communist government and although you know Mark Zuckerberg would want to do that, it would just be illegal and it would devastate the trust his company has. Mark Zuckerberg foregoes business in China for Facebook. Do you think that American banks would shut down in Canada if they were forced to do Trudeau's work? I don't know. I hope not. Canada's a huge market. It's as big as California. But if Trudeau is forcing U.S. banks or Canadian banks that are also regulated in the U.S., if Trudeau is forcing them to break the law, maybe those American banks just shut down and say we cannot comply because it puts us at legal jeopardy in America. What do you do? Do you you comply? Do you just try and rag the puck till this is over? We know for a fact that a number of American congressmen and senators were supportive of the truckers. We know that, they tweeted about it. I'll bet some of those American congressmen or their staff or families or friends made donations. So if you're a U.S. bank that's covered in this law, do you turn your, do you turn your U.S. congressman over to Trudeau, actually seize their property? Woo, bold move if you do that. You know, here's a timely reminder about Christia Freeland World Economic Forum executive who serves as Trudeau's finance minister. You know, I'm not making fun because not everyone is wealthy, but at age 45, when she returned to Canada from her long stay in the United States, at age 45, when she comes back to Canada to run for parliament, she needed her parents to co-sign her mortgage. Her parents had to lend her money or guarantee her mortgage, and she is gonna tell banks how to operate and what to do. Now, I'm not, I'm not making fun of someone who needs parents to buy them a house at, at 45. I'm making fun of such a person claiming to be an authority on finances and banking and how the world works. She has the reverse minus touch. Everything she handles turned pear-shaped. You know, she ran a, a company for Reuters, ran it into the ground, a digital company. She burned through tens of millions of dollars. She is a disaster. And I think she could destroy trust in Canada's banks. Trudeau also orders insurance companies to cancel insurance on any truck he says is a mean honking kind of truck. Seriously, though, how how are insurance companies to know the difference between a good truck and a bad truck, a truck that Trudeau hates, a good horn honk and a bad horn honk? As with Trudeau's seizure bank accounts, his insurance edict applies to a huge number of U.S. insurance companies. Here is a massive list of U.S. insurers that operate uh, in Canada. Are you actually going to cancel? Let's say, let's say you're a CEO or a risk manager in a U.S. insurance company. Are you actually going to cancel insurance on a customer because a politician says so? Is that legal under U.S. law to rip up a contract because some politician told you to? So let's say you're a U.S. insurance company insuring a U.S. citizen driving a U.S. truck between Detroit and Windsor. I mean, going back and forth, there's a lot of those guys, right? And let's say he honks his horn or says, F. Trudeau, you're going to cancel his insurance because he exercised what in America they call the First Amendment, speaking his mind, because some Banana Republic politician told you to? Hmm. You see, in Canada... Trudeau says that his victims of his vendetta are banned from suing banks or insurance companies for following his rules, which tells you that he knows it's bad. Now, that might be true in Canada where civil liberties have been suspended. But it's not true in the United States. Would a U.S. company violate a U.S. contract with a U.S. citizen because little Fidel said so? Little Fidel might stop you from suing in Canada, but like I say, U.S., citizen in a United States suing over a U.S. contract, a U.S. court is going to crucify you if you say, well, that little tin pot dictator up north told me I had to rip up the contract. That ain't the law. That ain't the law. Trudeau said that a reason he was bringing in the Emergencies Act is that the truckers are hurting Canada's economy. I think that's a bit of a laugh. Trudeau's two-year lockdown has done far more damage to the economy, but Destabilizing banking and insurance and casting doubt on the whole Canada US trade agreement is something only a know nothing wokest could do. Maybe Christian Freeland's parents can help out their grown daughter again figure things out. Just I don't know. I have to tell you, I don't think the liberals thought this through other than vengeance. This sounded pretty good, pretty tough when they were bouncing around the liberal war room. Gerald Butts was being an arms chair general, I'm sure he was on TV calling in the Air Force, if we had one. But when you actually get down to it, violating civil liberties isn't just a penalty to your enemy. It destroys the rule of law in the whole country. It undermines respect for the rule of law. And in terms of our international reputation, The truckers didn't hurt our international reputation. Everyone knew that was a grassroots rebellion. And yes, I'm sure it did have some costs. It shut down the Windsor-Detroit bridge for a few days. Yes, granted. But actually seeing the prime minister and the finance minister and the justice minister say they are going to seize private bank accounts with impunity and telling foreign bankers they have to follow the same rules, I don't think you can calculate the value of that damage. Can you? Stay with us for more. We're going to talk to Andrew Long, who's looked through this emergency orders even more than I have. That's next. <laughs> well, I remember once upon a time, when I was a child in the 70s and 80s, I... I really equated journalists with civil libertarians. I don't know why I thought that way. I think it's because that's how they were. The people who were most concerned about expressive freedom certainly seemed to be in the expressive industry of journalism and its cousins, film and art, you know, visual arts. They used to fight for freedom of speech, Uh, even for things that some of us wouldn't particularly like. There was cases of pornography being kept by border agents and there were big constitutional battles over whether or not obscenity was free speech in the end the political and legal answer was yes it is. Well fast forward to where we are now and I don't see that many civil libertarians left in journalism. In fact what has been so striking is how the only demographic, the only industry, the only group of people who are cheering for the suspension of civil liberties in Canada under the Emergencies Act are the journalists. The journalists are the most active, most vocal pressure group demanding the government do what they did and even more. I'm so glad that our next guest is not like that. He, like us at Rebel News, is one of the few independent journalists left in this country who does not take money from... Justin Trudeau, or any other government, his name is Andrew Lawton, and he joins us now. Vice guy, Andrew, my good friend, you are rare. I'm excited that you're going to Ottawa. Before we uh, talk about that, I, I know our viewers will be excited. To, uh, we got a couple guys there, but you and a, and a colleague from True North are going. You have looked through carefully the Emergencies Act order. Why don't you tell me what you find most interesting about it?
1: Well, I think there were two, and the first was what uh, Christian Freeland announced when the government was unveiling this order, which was just the length through which the government is going to go to go after private citizens' money and allow the banks to do the same without recourse. And, and, you know, you and I have talked on the show, on your show and my show, about free speech and the government's attempt to bring back Section 13. And one of the challenges in how the government wanted to do that was to empower big tech to become the state censors. That's the exact same thing they're doing here with finance. They're empowering banks to, on their own, based on the mere suspicion, as the order says, that it might be in some way connected to the convoy, to freeze accounts, and not only to do that, but to be exempt from civil liability. So when TD Bank says to Gladys that $10 that you sent to the convoy was illegal and they freeze her account, she has no recourse whatsoever. So that's the first point. The second is the complete suspension of mobility rights. Now, remember, Justin Trudeau said this is going to be charter compliant and it's not going after civil liberties. But very explicitly in the emergency order is that traveling to a protest that the government has deemed to be an illegal protest, traveling to Ottawa... With the Ottawa police says, is now illegal. So if the government decides that I don't count as a journalist in their view, I could find myself running afoul of the law tomorrow when I leave to Ottawa, just given how broadly this emergency order is worded.
0: You know, it's very interesting that you phrase it that way, because, of course, the definition of who is or isn't a journalist is a ridiculous but live question. And can of course, a journalist is not like a medical doctor that is a closed profession, you know, subject to some professional body. A journalist is someone who does journalism. It's, it's like, um, you know, a painter. You paint. If you paint, you're a painter. And it's, it's absurd to claim that you aren't a journalist. It's what you do all the time. It's your full-time job. You, you meet every, check every box of it, except for Justin Trudeau doesn't like the cut of your jib. I remember you and I were in court together in 2019 mm-hmm. when they kicked both True North and Rebel News out of the leaders debates. Justin Trudeau put it on the record that he doesn't like your kind or mine. So perhaps the the, the cops will take that approach. You're not a real journalist. By the way, everyone, anyone, has the right to be a citizen journalist. But, it's, but, but I think it is a real possibility that they try and eliminate the journalists they don't like. That's the whole point of removing civil liberties. You get to do things that you wouldn't, it's, it's like when the, the real teacher's away and the substitute teacher's there, and then it's like a class where, the, where there's no teacher at all. The kids go wild. There's literally no grown-up oversight on this government now. It's immune from judicial procedures. So they're going wild, like grade four kids without a teacher in the room. They're going to do terrible things, Andrew. I'm, I'm, I'm worried. I just hope that the cops on the ground aren't as abusive as Christy Freeland, Justin Trudeau, David Labenni, etc.
1: Well, yeah, and you raise, I think, two important points there. The first is the subjectivity at play, but also if the government hasn't made public how they actually want this to go down, have they made that clear to police? I, I saw a video this morning, and it's just, again, one incident, but it, I think, speaks to the problem here of police going around handing out notices to people, which are from the Ottawa police, and they say, you gotta get out of town or you could be arrested. And on one video, they handed them to who was clearly a journalist, she had her camera set up on a tripod, she was, had a microphone in her hand, she was working, and police said, uh, we're giving you this, and they, they, they carried on walking. So in a way, police are already putting intentionally or unintentionally journalists who are doing their job and the way the order is worded worded, are not supposed to be covered by it. They're already putting them on notice. So -hmm. so even if the intent is not to do that, if you have confusion because of how vague the government has crafted these, you're definitely going to have situations of that. Mm -hmm. And again, I I don't know where the police are going to stand on this. I don't know in the chain of discussion from Justin Trudeau to the public safety minister to the chief of police, right down to the officers. I I don't know Mm -hmm. what's happening in that pipeline of communication. But what I do know is that the government has very deliberately not given information about this, Mm -hmm. which is why you have so many questions, especially on the finances. Mm -hmm. If you hand like a roll up the rim tab to a trucker that says Mm -hmm. you've won a coffee, has that Mm -hmm. been in the government's eyes material support that gets Mm -hmm. you thrown in the slammer? No one knows.
0: Yeah. By the way, I want to make it clear that I think that any journalist has the right to be there, but so does any other citizen. I've never been one to say that journalists have a special higher freedom of speech than ordinary people. Um, In fact, these days, ordinary people, citizen journalists are, I think, the most important journalists. Um, But you raise a good point. I have read the Emergencies Act orders. And uh, earlier today, I talked about the financial aspects, which are very troubling. But simply saying you can't go to Ottawa. Sorry, that is not a lawful order. The, The Emergencies Act the CSIS Act that defines national threats. Um, in fact, the order itself says that peaceful protests are exempt. The whole thing must be charter compliant, simply saying you may not go to your capital city, a city of a million people. And by the way, let's say you're, you're delivering something in a truck. Are you are you going to be profiled because you're a truck driver? Let's say you're from Toronto visiting a friend in Ottawa. Does the government get to grill you on who your friend is? like? Ottawa is a major city. It's about a million people all in. It's it's along the big highway stretch between Toronto and Montreal. It's a very high high population, high traffic corridor. If you're coming from Montreal to Ottawa, if you're coming from Toronto to Ottawa, you've just nailed about a quarter of the national population right there. Are you saying you can't go to Ottawa? And who? And who gets to judge? And is there any appeal? And is it the the personal bigotry of a particular cop at a particular moment? This is so clearly a suspension of civil liberties for its own sake. There is no national crisis here. And, and that's, that. we've got to keep that in mind. If, you know, I, I said this yesterday, Andrew, I'd, I got in my car, I drove to work, and I thought, gee, the world doesn't feel any different today, even though we had civil liberties lifted. And the reason for that is because there was no cataclysmic crisis that the government was trying to fix. So we didn't notice any problem that needed fixing. The whole thing is a pretext to grab power.
1: Yeah, and and I just want to talk about how broad this is because the order specifically talks about the critical infrastructure. And with that, they're talking about border crossings and the like, but also locations where COVID-19 vaccines are administered. Now, part of the whole point here is that vaccines are now being administered everywhere. They're being administered at uh, grocery store pharmacies, at uh, walk-in drug stores. They have clinics all over the place. So anywhere that happens to be a vaccine distribution, site is now critical infrastructure and thus connected to the protest. Now, why that's particularly important is because the law also says, I shouldn't say law, it's not a real law, the order says that it is illegal to bring a child and by that they mean anyone under 19, within 500 meters of any protest of critical infrastructure or any other illegal protest. So if you have a bunch of people on Parliament Hill and the government has decided that's illegal, if you bring a minor within 500 meters of that That's protest, half a kilometer,
0: that's crazy. Yes,
1: even accidentally within 500 meters, you are running afoul of the emergency order the way it is written.
0: You know what's so gross is the NDP is so excited about this. Imagine the party of labor, unions being against peaceful protests. It's so upside down. Now, let me ask you this. I mean, you've done some stuff. By the way, I'm excited that you're going there and I want you to hold firm and I don't want you to bend the knee to any to any cop making you leave. I mean, I have to tell you, this is your moment. This is your time to shine, Andrew. And I know you will. I've seen you in action. I've seen you in stressful situations rise to the occasion. I know you dress warm, but I think you're gonna do I think you're gonna do great this week. I'm very excited that you're going down. We're gonna have a couple of rebels down there too. We could have like a Spider Man, Batman, Superman meetup or something. Uh we we got Lincoln Jane Alexa Lavois there. Who's your colleague? You got a new colleague from True North who's going to be down there.
1: Yes, uh, Elie Cantin Nantel, who's been doing some uh, tremendous work with us. He's bilingual, and and well, one of the things go. he's been able to do is cover uh, the really significant Quebec contingent mm-hmm. that's joining this protest.
0: Yeah, well, I'm I'm delighted that you guys are growing, and like I say, you're one of the few freedom-oriented folks left. Um, last question, because I know you got to run. Thanks for your time. I'm in a bubble. I talk to people who are alarmed and upset by things, and I read emails from rebels, so sometimes I I think I'm oversampling people who agree with me, even though I follow on Twitter people who hate me. It's hard to know what reality actually looks like. Do you think that in Canada, in general, outside of the media party and outside of our sort of rebel headquarters, how do you think the ordinary person thinks about what Trudeau's doing? Do they even think about it at all, or is it just more blah, blah, blah? because it hasn't hit them yet what 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 do Canadians think about this civil liberties violation
1: to be honest, it really depends, Ezra, because there are a lot of people that are especially on, on independent media platforms and on social media sites bypassing Trudeau and bypassing the mainstream media. They're logging on and they're seeing the bouncy castle, the hot tub. Today, there was a pig roast, believe it or not. <laughs> uh, not kosher, but still delicious. And lots of great things that people are Liberty seeing here are going on and, and completely peaceful. But then you turn on the mainstream media and you hear and the government was is very clear about this illegal blockade, illegal blockade blockade, mm-hmm. illegal blockade. Mm-hmm. Earlier, um, I think it was Bear, Bill Blair accidentally said blockade, and midway through he corrected it to illegal blockade, yeah. because that's the message they're trying to share. Mm-hmm. And ultimately it becomes an air war. Are people going to see mm-hmm. more of the direct raw footage from people on the ground, mm-hmm. or are they going to be susceptible to the mm-hmm. government narrative about this, which is very much targeting political opponents?
0: Yeah, well, I think this weekend might things might break. I, I said on Twitter, I saw that document being handed out to people, I said, the Ottawa police didn't scare away the truckers. Doug Ford announced an emergency act. That didn't cause the truckers to leave. Trudeau announced the emergency act, federally. That didn't cause the truckers to leave. Maybe this brochure will cause the truckers to leave. I don't know. I don't think ordinary beat cops are willing to get brutal with moms and dads and kids having sort of a festival-type atmosphere. I just don't think they're going to do it. But. But who knows, I will know by watching what our reporters, Lincoln and Alexa do, and what you and your colleague, whose name I cannot pronounce, are doing. So we look forward to, and that's dot TNC.news. That's where we'll see your work, am I right? Yes, that's correct. And of course, you're on Twitter. I like to follow you on Twitter. You're just Andrew Lawton on Twitter, am I right? Yeah, and that's also the name of the Substack. I try to keep it simple. Fair enough. Substack, of course, is your email newsletter, which is a must read. Well, listen, it's, I just, I'm just i excited for you uh, that you're going to Ottawa, because that is where there's going to be a lot of action. And uh, uh, bring an extra battery pack for your phone, because uh, I know you're going to want to have it on all day. Great to see you, my friend. Good luck. Thank you. There you have it. One of the good guys, Andrew Lawton from TNC.news. Stay with us. More ahead. Hey, welcome back. Let's read your letters. Gord Orr says, Arthur Pavlovsky has serious political clout. That is why he is a political prisoner. Watch him work a crowd of thousands and the love he receives. He's a threat to the corrupt class in Alberta. You know, I used to be pretty close with Jason Kenny. I can't, can't believe my eyes. He, I feel like he has um, been inhabited by like an alien being or something. He is opposite. Of the jason Kenny i once knew quite well um for those who are my vintage or older you might recall that in the 1990s we had this little group we called the snack pack it was a knockoff of the liberal rat pack and it was myself jason kenny raheem or the young slightly tubby guys who uh, all single guys who were just in ottawa together and he was the most principled conservative mp jason kenny he was one of the most principled conservative cabinet ministers and he ran for the leadership of alberta merged the two parties on a conservative platform but my god has he been transformed uh, by the pandemic into one of the most abusive premiers in the country and i know he would argue oh, our lockdown has been the shortest he has thrown pastor arthur pavlovsky in solitary confinement indefinitely he jailed pastor james coates Uh, from Edmonton for 35 days, which is shocking. But they just put Arthur, Pastor Arthur Pavlovsky, in solitary indefinitely. How do you show your face? And to think that, um, I remember Jason Kenney, when he used to take it upon himself to be a champion for religious freedom around the world, like China. I can tell you that China has not arrested or jailed as many Christian pastors for breaking the lockdown as Jason Kenney has. so <laughs> 09 says, I'm confused with Doug Ford. He's telling us that we need to end this insanity and that the mandate rules did not work. He stresses that we don't need to wear masks. But as soon as he walks away, he puts on his mask. Furthermore, if we're done with it, why not cancel everything right now? Why wait to wean people off these rules? What messages he sending? The message he's sending is you can't believe a word he says, and he'll say the opposite thing. He's like a seat cushion that has the impression of whoever last sat upon him. But I have to say that that little speech he gave was the most authentic he sounded um, as opposed to a hostage reading some, you know, a message from this hostage taker. Um, <clears throat> it made me chuckle. Because literally one day earlier, he had said he supports Justin Trudeau's suspension of civil liberties and massive crackdown. And then 24 hours later, he says, no, I think we got to end all this. And I'm done with masks. He has a mask and the two people behind him have a mask. I think the short answer is never trust a thing a politician ever says, ever. I know that's a pretty uh, totalistic thing to take away from it. But you tell me there's a single politician in this country you trust. Salad and Chops, I think that's a nickname, says... Trudeau is weaponizing the banks. Everyone should pull some cash out. Unintended consequences is the way to fight back. Just as the truckers did with their convoy, keep moving the game on the tyrants. Yeah, I mean, seriously, when you have done as little in life as Justin Trudeau and Chrystia Freeland, and what little Chrystia Freeland has done has been a total disaster, if you look at her experience with Reuters, just destroying a company, destroying a company. You're putting those people in charge of the banking industry, one of the most important industries in the country, one of the most integrated industries in New York and Boston and San Francisco. You're touching that? You're letting those buffoons touch it and politicize it? I mean, it would be bad enough if Canadian banks, but you have the chutzpah to commandeer American banks and tell them that they have to violate American law? You think that's a good idea? Even if Joe Biden gives you a legal pass on it, I don't expect the Republican House will for long. And um, just to trust that, you've just shattered a century of trust because you hate some truckers because they were embarrassing you. Unbelievable. That's our show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night. and Keep fighting for freedom. And let me leave you with our video of the day. Our friend Sheila doing a story on... Trudeau donating to Black Lives Matter while seizing the bank accounts of peaceful protesters. Here's a good one.
1: I have attended protests and rallies in the past uh, when I agreed with the goals, when I supported the people uh, expressing their concerns and their issues. Black Lives Matter is an excellent example of that. But I have also chosen to not go anywhere near protests that have expressed hateful rhetoric, violence towards fellow citizens,
2: Remember that clip? That's Justin Trudeau swearing allegiance to BLM, the group behind large-scale protests that shut down major cities in Canada. And in the United States, BLM caused looting, rioting, arsons, and violence. Yet Trudeau calls the peaceful convoy street party with bouncy castles, music, free food, and anthem singing a fringe minority. Remember this? The small
1: fringe minority of people who are on their way to Ottawa or who are uh, holding unacceptable uh, views.
2: But Justin Trudeau didn't just swear his allegiance publicly to Black Lives Matter, as I showed you in that clip off the top of this video. He sealed his loyalty to BLM with your money in the form of a grant. But he didn't just give money to BLM, he gave it to a group that he weaponized to surveil and paint his political enemies as racist, which they're doing right now. And he also gave it to an organization that was supposed to stand up for civil liberties, which explains why they didn't stand up when Justin Trudeau just stomped all over them. Today's information comes to us by way of an order paper response from the government to a question asked by Quebec Conservative MP Pierre-Paul Housse, who wanted to know about the advance payments being made to organizations By the federal government and buried way down in the response was the reply from the Canadian Race Relations Foundation. Did you know that such a government agency existed? Now we should pay attention to them because they are loudly saber rattling for online censorship. And the government is going to do it with their new harmful online content law. And as you know, harmful means anything that liberals Don't like hearing. Okay, let's take a look. June 11th, 2021, BLM Canada received $8,250 from Trudeau. So he's not just a supporter, but he's also forcing Canadians to support his favorite causes now, too, as he did with the We organization next one may 14th 2021 the canadian anti hate network already a recipient of hundreds of thousands of dollars in government grants to identify and vilify critics of the liberal government and masquerade as experts on the cbc and other media outlets about how bad the convoy is and to also spread hate hoaxes anyway they received an additional 6000 bucks from the race relations foundation last one and this one once i saw it it explained so much to me because i have wondered where the heck the bc civil liberties Association has been for the last two years while churches were closed by the state, protesters were harassed by cops, families were prevented from gathering, and businesses were forced closed. These are all serious civil liberties violations. And why hasn't the BCCLA said anything about the coming internet censorship by the Liberals? Why did the BCCLA not fire their director when she said to burn down Catholic churches during a summer when dozens were set ablaze across Canada? Well, this grant here explains it all. $10,000 March 25th, 2021 from the Race Relations Foundation. If you have been paying attention, this all just explains so much. For Rebel News, I'm Sheila gunn Reid.